There were no T-Rexes when Jesus was born. <laughs> <laughs> It's Friday, January the 12th, and this is the Dutch News Podcast, your weekly chance to catch up with what's been going on here in the Netherlands. I'm Gordon Derrick, Dutch News Contributing Editor and Church-born Atheist, and with me today are my fellow Contributing Editor and Jurassic Park Ranger, Molly Quell, and Paul Peters, Master Student in Civil Engineering and Escape Room Refugee. So, Gordon, I hear you were born in a church. Well, that's what my son tells me. I hear you've got a teenager, basically. Basically, yeah. I've got a very uh, very cocky 12-year-old. Yeah. I left the bathroom door open and he turned around to me and said, were you born in a church? Which is an expression he got from his teacher. Ah, uh, okay. So, uh, shall we explain the expression? Yes. We should explain the expression, Please yes. do, because I didn't understand uh, it. The doors of a church are always open, so mm. if you leave a door open, you are probably born in a church. Yeah, yeah. particularly if it's a bathroom door. You yeah, it's bathroom the... Were you... It, wait, yeah. may, this may get TMI, but were you using the bathroom while the door no, was no, open? No, 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 no. This oh, is okay. after I've been in the bathroom. Okay. No, I want to make that clear to just, everybody. Just checking. Yeah. <laughs> so, because, yeah... Otherwise, people have images in their heads. Yeah, and no one needs that. No one needs that, no. Molly, why are you a... Now, shall we explain that? Uh, so I, I, of course, manage the social media profiles for the wonderful establishment that hosts this podcast. And I posted a story from Utrecht University about uh, moths being around during, I don't know, prehistoric times with the dinosaurs. So I put some sort of joke on Twitter about how it wasn't just T-Rexes in Jurassic Park, referring, of course, to the movie. And we got a bunch of emails in from people who were saying that there were no parks during the Jurassic period and also that <laughs> T-Rexes did not live during that period. So. Yeah. And also, yeah, and also, there are no parks and no tea rooms either. Yeah, there's no, no there's no nothing. No, there was just there was just dinosaurs, basically. Yeah. Not even T Rex rooms. No, not T Rex rooms. No. So yeah, I was I was annoyed this morning. With that. Yeah, and uh, Paul, uh, what's what's happening with the escape room? Uh, I'm uh, I'm going to an escape room tonight with my family. So right. uh, we're gonna have to wait and see if I will be. Uh, yeah, and are you going to leave? Week. That's a real question. Yeah, yeah, if I if I will manage to escape, so that's the that's. The <laughs> challenge. If you don't escape from the escape room, do they just keep you locked up there forever? Uh, I'm not sure. This week, we'll look at the fallout from the latest earthquake in Groningen, reflect on new US Ambassador Piek Hoekstra's eventful first few days in office, and find out why nobody was even slightly concerned about large areas of Gelderland being underwater. In our discussion, we look at a novel idea by one Dutch community to stop teenagers running riot during the New Year fireworks. I think that there were some horses that were concerned about Gelderland being underwater. Yeah, some horses and some cows. Some horses and some cows. Yeah, but I was talking about people. Horses aren't people. For some reason. Uh, no. No, they're not. They didn't exist in the Jurassic period either. <laughs> <laughs> in our top story, Economic Affairs Minister Eric Wiebes announced in Groningen on Tuesday that the government was looking to cut back gas production in the province faster. It follows the second largest earthquake in Groningen province this century, measuring 3.4 on the Richter scale, on Monday afternoon in the village of Seerijp. Seismic activity in the area has been linked to decades of extraction of natural gas from under the soil, which has made the ground unstable. On Thursday, the oil and gas company NAM said production should be cut back substantially. The government is committed to reducing production from 21.5 billion cubic metres to 20 billion over the next four years, but Weber said it was time to stop talking and take action. So what exactly is the cost of turning off the gas? Yeah, this is the problem for the government because uh, gas income to the Treasury has already fallen from uh, 13 billion euros in 2013 to less than 2 billion this year. And last year the government borrowed money to compensate for the lost revenue, but uh, Finance Minister Wopke Hoekstra says that in the long term they'll need to find savings around 1 billion a year. And the government's long-term plan is to stop 
connecting new homes to the gas main by 2030 and switch it off altogether by 2050. And um, renewable energy is going to have to pick up the slack. But the other problem is that the Netherlands still exports gas to countries like France and Germany, so they've got to uh, sit down and negotiate uh, with those countries to try and uh, reduce demand. Yeah, because they probably have some contracts uh, with these countries. Indeed. Well, and it also makes uh, international politics a bit more difficult because, of course, a lot of gas otherwise comes from Russia, with with whom some of these European countries don't have great international and diplomatic relations. And yeah. so uh, a Especially lot of them would prefer to deal with the Netherlands because, you know, it's not being run by Putin. So Yeah, but there's also a different type of gas you get from Russia as well. So your gas appliances in your home are tuned for Dutch gas. Right. So they have to be retuned if you've got gas from somewhere else. Yeah. So, uh, uh, Gordon, were the people of Groningen happy to see the minister there and uh, them him taking up their plight? Yeah, he got a bit of, sort of a mixed reception. There were some protesters uh, turned out to meet him in Zeeraip. They're holding up banners. The government's been talking for years about um, needing to do something about the earthquake damage, but in practice, the earthquakes are still happening, so the, the, there's kind of a lot of tension there. And you may remember that last year, during the election campaign, Mark Rutte was confronted by some protesters in a studio who held up these uh, pieces of paper saying, you know, we don't recognise our Prime Minister. So this is a real sort of running sore in Kronia. I think this, this, you can kind of gauge the um, the level of tension from the fact that uh, two people got visited by the police because they liked a Facebook page. This is the most ridiculous <laughs> story from this week. The police came, knocked on the door. One woman was reading bedtime stories to her daughter, and um, she got a knock on the door, and it was the police coming around asking questions about you know what was this protest and how many people are likely to turn up and uh, what are they going to do exactly well the police then turned around and said uh, well maybe in, maybe we should have uh, gone around in plain clothes rather than uniform yeah and the mayor <laughs> said oh we should have called people instead and <laughs> yeah. all of these are like totally missing the point like yeah. ma- maybe you should not be judging this <laughs> turning yeah. up for the police because someone <laughs> likes something on facebook Maybe they should have just, Maybe uh, could just read send, the Facebook page. Or, no, send, or yeah. send Facebook messages or something to yeah. organize, I don't know. Time for our recurring section called New PVV Politicians Making Controversial Comments. This week, the brand new PVV campaign leader for the municipality elections in Utrecht, Henk van Deun, came under fire after he said in a heated local radio interview he'd rather see the mosque in the Utrecht neighborhood Lombok burned down. When another guest on the show suggested he'd wish the new Ulu mosque to become one of the city's symbols, like the Dom Tower, van Deun fired back saying we would rather it burned down, so to speak. The interviewer offered him an opportunity to take back his statement, but Van Deen refused, adding fuel to the dust-up. In an effort to extinguish the outrage following the interview, Van Deen tweeted his statements were clumsy, but the PVV still wants to close all mosques nonetheless. The anti-Islam PVV party will take part in 30 municipality elections on March 21st, after failing to find enough suitable candidates to participate in the 60 local elections party leader Geert Wilders hoped for. This political party is just advocating for like, you know, in a country where we're supposed to have religious freedom, right? That like, now, screw you guys. We're yeah, but he said so to speak. So, so to speak, oh, yeah, right? Well, yeah, of course. Okay, then, yeah. It's totally yeah. fine. Yeah. Except yeah. their party platform is, is that they want to close all the mosques. Yeah, I but mean, not like, burning down. No, of course. Good. Good that they're not pyromaniacs. Bad that mm. they're terrible fucking racists. <laughs> yeah. So can you tell us about the candidates they did find, Paul? Because apparently the guy with the Hitler haircut did not make the cut, I believe. Yeah, the PVV had more Irish... Oh, and hating the Jews. That's also enough to get you a cut from the PVV, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah, this exactly. is what we learned yeah, in the yeah. last few R- weeks. Wrong kind of racism. Right. There was the party leader in Rotterdam, and he he, he had he was fired after he uh, uh, it turned out he had some uh, no. extreme right links. 
including hating the Jews and 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 uh, wishing a, a notorious Holocaust denier, Holocaust denier, yeah. happy birthday, birthday yeah, on Irving. Facebook. Um, so we, uh, they had to drop him. And, so, and yeah. the and other dude just looked yeah. like a Nazi. And there, there, was, there was a guy in Drenthe who had the Hitler haircut. Yeah, although yeah. it was a really bad Hitler haircut. It's yeah. like he, it was like he'd gone into the hairdresser saying, "I'd like a Hitler haircut, but I've only got ten euros." <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah, and he was wearing a grey suit, which kind of resembled like an SS <laughs> yeah. uniform. So yeah. yeah, it was not a good look. The new U.S. ambassador to the Netherlands, Pieke Hoekstra, was officially welcomed warmly by the king this week, and then things got heated in a press conference which followed. Hoekstra was born in Groningen, but his family emigrated to the U.S. when he was three. He was appointed to the post in 2017 by President Donald Trump, but the appointment wasn't finalized until this week when he met with the king, as is tradition. Following the ceremony, he held a press conference where he was questioned about an interaction he had with NOS journalist Walter Zwart at the end of 2017. Zwart asked Hoekstra about comments Hoekstra made in 2015, claiming the Netherlands were filled with no-go zones where Muslim immigrants burned cars and politicians. In response, Hoekstra claimed that those comments were fake news. In the broadcast of the program, his comment was followed by the video of him making the comments. During the press conference, Hoekstra refused to comment on the controversy, but was pressed by journalists to answer their questions, including one journalist who said, this is not how it works here. This is the Netherlands. You answer the question. Uh, so Hoekstra said that Muslim immigrants are burning cars and politicians. But the irony here is that this week there was a Dutch politician who called for the burning of Muslim property. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. So um, are we really talking about uh, something else uh, your idiotic country did this week? Or is this just uh, the only thing? No, this is this is our lives now, Paul. It's just no. going to be discussing idiotic things yeah. that the U.S. has done. Yeah, so Hooks have first of all made these comments about uh, cars being set on fire and politicians being yeah, set on fire. Yeah, he did this at a conference <coughs> in 2015. Yeah, so first he did that. Then he went on television and said, I never said that, it was fake news. Right. Then he claimed in the, uh, in the same interview that he hadn't actually called the thing fake news. Fake news, news. They, they, they right. just called fake news. And now he has said uh, he's, he wants to move on, but he's not apologising for the comments. So he's uh, standing by it, but not apologising for it. Gordon, I respect your ability to try to parse this out, but this is like fake newsception. Basically, Pete yeah. Hoekstra is an idiot and a terrible human being and an embarrassment like, as ambassador. It's kind of like a Mobius strip of fake news. Yeah. The more you go around <laughs> exactly. it, the more, the more the knots you get tied. Yeah, so, yeah. This is, that's it's pretty a whirlpool much it. of fake news. Yeah. So. In weather news, water levels in the Dutch rivers continue to rise, causing some major floods, but there is not yet reason for alarm. The water level of the rivers are rising because of rainwater and melting water from the Alps are coming in the country. The Rhine at Lobit near the German border reached a level of 14.52 meter above NAP, which is 30 centimeters higher than officials predicted. If the water level reaches 50 meters above N- NAP, Nijmegen will be flooded, such as in the 1990s, when the water level reached 16 meters above NAP. Despite officials are saying there is no flood danger, some precautions were taken, such as an extra inspection of dikes, the closing of dike roads, and switching off electricity. On Monday, in the west of Gelderland, 200 cows and horses had to be rescued from the meadows that were on the brink of being flooded by the rising rivers. So, Paul, for the benefit of our listeners, uh, what is NAP? Uh, NAP is like the standard water level Dutch officials are referring to. Um, it's it's it stands for normal Amsterdam yeah. level, slightly below sea level, if I remember correctly. So that's like the basic, uh, the base water yeah. level. So everything is referred everything's to that. measured against. Yeah, yeah. Okay. The remarkable thing for me was that there was absolutely no sense of panic here. And in fact, some people actually seem to enjoy going out and uh, admiring the flooded fields and the rising water levels. Yeah, as the river water flowed into floodplains and meadows as was supposed to be. Mm. Uh, some enthusiastic water sports uh, fanatics took out their surfboards and their canoes and boats and they were enjoying the strong current. 
Meanwhile, in the north of the country, Frisians were ice skating uh, earlier this week when mm. it got cold enough to uh, to, to freeze over yeah. some water. But they had to go out at midnight. Right? Yeah, of course. Yeah. But yeah. they're Frisians. But they're so Frisians. That's what they do. <laughs> if you're Frisian, you just have your skates on all the time. Right, you sleep in them, right? <laughs> yeah. I mean, just in case the Elf Staten talk is called, like, in the middle of the night. Yeah, in the summer, you are clooning. Yeah. yeah. You know what that is? No. So, in the Elf Tocht, uh, you have, like, 200 kilometers of ice skating but under the bridges there is sometimes there is not enough ice or it's not thick enough so you have to step out of a step off the ice and you have to walk on land on your skates and that's mm-hmm. called clooning oh, okay. right yeah and then in the spring you're stealing birds eggs yeah, yeah. <laughs> and so, uh, for new year's eve you blow up uh, milk containers right <laughs> yeah that's yeah. all part of the uh, freezing it's freezing culture it's fun yeah. life in Friesland. yeah, yeah. yeah. In sports news, the family of Ajax footballer Appin Nori have said they were shocked to learn at the weekend that the club hadn't told them the player had an underlying heart condition. Nori was a promising 20-year-old midfielder until he collapsed on the pitch during a friendly match against Werder Bremen in July last year. He suffered severe brain damage and is still in hospital in Amsterdam and will never play again. NSA reported on Saturday that the KNVB, the Dutch Football Association, picked up his medical condition during a routine scan four years ago. The family have also hired a personal injury lawyer to investigate whether the care he received on the pitch in Germany was adequate. So was the club supposed to notify the family? I mean, he's 20 years old, I guess it's... Yeah, yeah but the scam was four years ago. But he's, even then, when you're 16 years old, um, your parents don't have the automatic right to see your medical records um, anymore. So it, technically they didn't have to tell them. But I think the parents are worried that perhaps they didn't tell him properly either. So oh, that's okay. a big question. And they say that if they had known, they would have made sure that he had follow-up tests to assess the potential risks. On the other hand, the Canfe Bay have said that they assessed the condition at the time and they concluded it wasn't dangerous. So, And, and uh, what has Ajax said about this? Well, Ajax has said they've refused to go into the details of the case um, in the media, but they say they're in discussions with the family. Um, they've also defended the club doctor who treated Nori on the pitch because uh, the footage showed that um, when he first went over to the player, when he first collapsed, um, he didn't immediately administer a heart massage, which uh, according to FIFA's guidelines is what you're supposed to do. And um, Nori only got a heart massage a few minutes later when uh, another doctor who wasn't in the stadium at the time came in and um, uh, started treating him. So questions about that uh, are likely to rumble on. Um. And also if you consider, you know, they knew what his condition was, so yeah. they should have acted upon that, I think. Yeah, well, you're supposed to treat any collapse on the pitch as um, as, a suspected, a as a suspected heart attack oh. or sort of heart failure. But given they knew that he had, uh, he had, had a weakness in his heart, you say, yeah, the, 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 they maybe ought to have been aware of that. Yeah. yeah. So this wasn't the uh, the only sports news this week, right, Gordon? We had uh, something to do with losing a seat on the International Olympic Committee also. Yes, the seat on the International Olympic Committee belonged to Camille Erlings, um, who is a former MP, former minister in the Christian Democrat Party, once tipped as a former prime minister. Um, but he also had an incident a few years ago in 2015 um, when he allegedly assaulted his girlfriend in a domestic incident. At the time, it wasn't quite clear what had happened. She reported it to the police. They referred it to the prosecution service. But in the end, he settled it out of court um, and it emerged this week that he'd, uh, he'd done 40 hours um, voluntary community service uh, but last week in the NSA he gave an interview in which he said he was apologising but didn't really say what he was apologising for, what actually happened or what happened in the build up to this this assault and he used sort of uh, some rather strange uh, forms of words in which he said that, that, that there was a, a kind of mutual kind of uh, you know coming together between us as if somehow they were both jointly to blame for uh, the fact that she got a broken elbow. So it was all a bit unsatisfactory, he came under more pressure and in the end uh, it culminated this week with him stepping down from the International Olympic Committee and he said he was stepping down, quote, in the interest of sport and sportsmen and women. So I think what we need to do collectively as a society is like 
make all men take a course on how to apologize properly mm-hmm. because apparently like Pete Hoekstra can't do it, that Pepe and Utrecht can't do it, this guy can't do it. Like, is it really that hard for guys to just say I'm sorry? He just should have said I'm sorry and it should have stopped there. Right. It shouldn't mm. be talking about a mutual yeah. uh, mutual blame or something. No, he just should have said so- I'm sorry and, and, and he Yeah, because also them. if Pete Hoekstra had just said I'm sorry, I misspoke. Like, I mean, yeah. it's a dodgy politician answer, but like it's it's much better than what he did. Yeah. And if the Pevevey guy also said at the moment of the time, yeah, I'm sorry, I didn't me- I didn't mean to use that language. We think that mosques should be closed, but of course we're not advocating violence. Like none of these would have been stories. Like yeah, exactly. yeah it seems we're kind of running theme here. And it seems as if uh, Erlings came under pressure from somewhere to apologize, but the way he did it was so kind of mealy mouthed and ham fisted. He actually ended up making the situation even worse. Yeah. yeah and, and he's he, now had he, to resign from his job. And he also <laughs> he also claimed he he didn't have a strafblad, which is an unofficial. Uh, word for a mm. criminal record yeah. and that's true he doesn't have a straf blood because it's not a thing but he does have a cr- criminal record now so yeah because the police have a note of uh, the fact that yeah, he exactly. did this thing although he didn't actually admit guilt uh, but he did you know, nevertheless you know, agree to carry out some um, voluntary work in compensation Lewis, an 80-year-old lobster, died this week, despite an effort to save him from a Christmas dinner. Yvonne van Erden pulled Lewis from lobscurity when she snapped up the 8.2-kilo crustacean for 400 euros in a shelfless act at a charity auction in December. But van Erden lapsed her purchase this week when Lewis passed away. There is no official cause of death, but authorities suspect it was either from old age or the stress of being moved. Animal Protection said in a statement that they were shell-shocked by Lewis's death. Yeah. So she spent 400 euros on a lobster, so she must be feeling the pinch. (laughs) (sighs) I quit. We'll be discussing inventive ways to keep communities in one piece after this word from our sponsors. Access is an independent, not-for-profit organization which has been helping internationals successfully settle in the Netherlands for the past 30 years. Access is run entirely by a team of highly skilled, motivated and professional volunteers who have themselves been experts. Their vision is to provide essential, comprehensive and unique services nationally through the expertise and experience of their volunteer expatriate community. You can find out more about Access and the services they offer at the website www.access-nl.org. If you are interested in reaching an international audience with your product or service, you can email to podcast at dutchnews.nl for our competitive advertising rates. This week, the community of Weg bei Dürstede in Utrecht hit the headlines with their unexpectedly successful plan to curtail teenage excess on New Year's Eve, which is traditionally the busiest night of the year for the emergency services, despite what the US ambassador would have you believe. <laughs> Sorry. That's a good joke. <laughs> yeah. Or the PVV Utrecht guy. Indeed. After racking up a repair bill of €13,000 at the start of 2017, the Gemeente offered the town's youth an incentive. If they could keep the damage below €10,000, any leftover money would be spent on youth facilities. In the event, the total damage amounted to seven road signs, two bins, two dog waste bins and an electric fence. The estimated cost was €2,560, which means local youngsters now have €8,440 to decide how to spend. Ideas submitted so far include tarting up the skate park and extra subsidies for sports clubs. Community worker Anal Middleham admitted he was surprised by the success of the scheme, saying, The young people did well. We had a good relationship with them and we've benefited from that. However, not everybody was enamoured by the idea. Fefe Day councillor Ed Speyer said it was 
quote, plain stupid and was angry that the damage to non-council property, like a bus stop, wasn't included in the reckoning. So what do we think? Is this a good move or should kids be able to behave themselves without uh, being bribed by the council? Do you ever bribe your kids into behaving? Uh, all the time, yeah. I mean, I think I mean, that's, that's what people do, isn't right. it? What yeah. parents do. Right. I mean, yeah. this is like why TV and iPads were invented, basically, right? And, <laughs> and also candy and toys. Like. <laughs> yeah. And taking them away if they don't behave. Right. Yeah. yeah, yeah. But that's what you're always drilled into these days, kind of in uh, you know parenting uh, classes or advice books, you know, to not bribe your children in advance, but promise them something if they behave well afterwards. Right. So, yeah, that seems to be... But this is, I mean, this is a common thing for of human behavior, right? Like, we don't, I mean... I'm not saying that humanity is sociopathic and without rules and regulations, we would all be murdering each other, although maybe I am saying that. (laughs) (laughs) But, like, this is, you know, it's a basic tenet of human behavior, right? That, like, yeah, people should do the right thing all the time. The reality is, is that human beings are all imperfect. And so we have a system of laws which prosecute people for doing the wrong thing, which these, the the incidents that did happen were prosecuted or are going to be prosecuted if they can be. It's not like they got a free pass for blowing up dog waste bins. But also, like, carrot and stick i think it's a great idea yeah and uh, you know in the end uh, everybody wins because uh, you know th- there's less damage so there's less you know you, you don't have uh, lots of uh, trash lying around on new year's day um the council spends less money in total and uh, the community gets a nice new skate park right. yeah it's mutually so, beneficial yeah, yeah you would think i don't understand why the vvg the guy was upset about this because they're spending less money and they got more out of it and namely a new skate park or something so this seems like a win for any sort of like pro-business kind of party, right? Like, the government's spending less money, and they're spending it in a more effective way, instead mm. of just, like, repairing dog waste bins. Yeah, but they're also the party of law and order, aren't they? So his, his uh, stance, I suppose, is that uh, teenagers shouldn't have to be, you know, given incentives just to, to, to stick within the law. The law is the law, and if you break it, then you should be punished. This guy has clearly never met a teenager. No. Yeah. I mean, I think that that's... I, th- I think everyone criticizing this has just, like, never interacted with teenagers. And for the record, I hate children and still know that, like, <laughs> teenagers are idiot, like, hormonal human beings who are, who are very short-sighted and don't, like, think well about long-term consequences. Yeah. And, yes, if we can bri- bribe them into, like, not blowing up my city, I'm quite happy to do that. Please yeah. send me up, sign me up for the teenager bribing fund. Yeah. And also, when the council have this pot of money now to spend on community facilities, and they've been uh, consulting teenagers on what, yeah. how, what the money should be spent on. It's actually involving, getting them involved in the community rather than just uh, having them as people who sort of hang about and cause trouble and make life awkward for them. Yeah, everybody. they're going to have to have an election or something, right? Um, Probably. Yeah, on, uh, on how to spend the money. So yeah, you, you, you teach the children also uh, the benefits uh, and, uh, of, of, of democracy and uh, yeah, you involve them in the community. Yeah. Um, and I was wondering, is there, are there any other circumstances we can apply this approach to as well or is it just out a new new year's day i mean i've seen this there is some work done in, in developing countries where you sort of bribe people i mean essentially you pay them money or or things like cell phone credits or whatever to to vaccinate their kids or to take them to a doctor's appointment and this kinds of stuff which have had you know some some success i mean they've done some projects in the u.s where you sort of bribe teenagers to come to school so like for every day that they show up they can get a certain amount of money on a on a card that can be spent in some places 
that seem to have some success. I mean, these sort of projects seem to work out well when you have decision making that has is uh, is unlikely to have actual negative repercussions, and the the payment for long repercussions is, is either too vague or too far in the future, right? So. This being things like, you know, lots of trash cans get blown up on New Year's Eve. It's fairly unlikely that you're going to get caught for this. I mean, it's the same with things like littering and that kind of stuff where, you know, the, it's it's very difficult to prosecute them. And yeah, so, you have to be caught red-handed. Otherwise, right. yeah. uh, y- y- you can just go. Yeah. Yeah. And so, and, you know, the, the positive benefits of not blowing up trash can otherwise are pretty vague, right? I mean, it's not like you pay a penalty, especially, you know, if it's not your neighborhood or whatever for blowing up this trash can. Mm. So it's like a, a system that, you know, this these particular sort of things seem to be good for this kinds of stuff. But you could see it for other things. I mean, like, I, I know that they've done some projects in, in other cities with uh, cigarette butts, right? Where, like, the city, during the course of a year, picks up however many thousand cigarette butts that smokers throw on the sidewalk. And they say, okay, well, if we're going to pick up less next year, then we're going to do, like, we're going to throw a party or do something else positive. Because, um, again, it's a bit of the same thing, right? Like, the... the yeah, and you also create this sort of group pressure. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. You create group pressure, but you also create more behave. of a kind of sense of community. Because I mean, we've been reading a lot yeah, over the last year about how society is polarizing and people are splitting off into groups. No one's talking to each other. No one's helping out their neighbors. So it seems to me a good thing if you have uh, give people incentive to be less destructive and um, to do less damage. And also that uh, they actually get involved in a project, spending community money, and they see a positive outcome. You know, they actually have something tangible coming out of it. You know, the, 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 these kids now, they're, they're being asked, what do you want? And they, they, get, they get to make a decision. They get, to, they get involved in the process. And then they actually see the new shiny skate park uh, emerge as a result of their their efforts, yeah. so I, I thought that would be a good thing in a time where you keep talking about how you know the society is uh, fragmenting, collapsing. Yeah, this is a start. Yeah, I mean, I think it's a, it, I think what Gordon was saying that it really shows to people who are very often disenfranchised by government, namely teenagers who tend to, you know, they can't vote, they're not fully adults yet, so they, they're not participating in society. The stakes aren't very high for them in terms of, like, you know, you, you tend to get active when things matter, right? When the council's going to dig out your parking space or, like, take your tree out of the street, right, when it matters to you. You know, a teenager... Or put speed bumps in your road. I don't want to talk about the street <laughs> in front of my house. It's terrible. But, you know, so this is, like, creating this really good, I think... Uh, a system whereby you know people can see tangible consequences for behaving well and feel like the community cares about them and is listening to them and is valuing their opinions and these sorts of things. I mean, I think like everything of this sounds like it's a positive thing. Yeah, and it's for a very small outlay as well. Yeah. I mean, what the council discovered is you know the, the amount they saved is far more than they'd really expected. So you can see if and, and surely you know I can't quite get the uh, the counter argument. This is a bad current system that we have. Just seems to be you know extremely expensive, not really very. That, doesn't have any kind of real uh, positive outcome and, and, and it's not really working surely if you get a better uh, or more, more attractive community people more engaged and it's, you're actually saving money why wouldn't you do it right. you know, why wouldn't you, I mean they'd given this a go it could have failed and then they said okay that didn't work we'll try we won't try it again but uh, you know it, it, it's been actually more successful than they expected yeah and well and the upside to this quote unquote failing had it failed was like it doesn't you know it's not like it cost the city any extra money mm. they had already put this money aside for repairs based on what they had experienced in the past So I think my kind of two questions out of this would be, one, 
will it work again next year, right? Like, will their outlays continue to be either, you know, continue to be lower or at least lower compared to other cities where, you know, they, because they have a better relationship with the people who are often, you know, committing these sort of petty crimes. My second question, which I think the Veve Day guy was like sort of getting at, but not really, is whether or not the teenagers were smart enough to blow up non-council property (laughs) in exchange, right? Because he notes that there was a bus station, right, that wasn't counted in this. Now, of course, like, the city, I'm sure, counted based on what the city had to spend. Mm. And so, like, it's not the same as, you know, destruction of private property. So whether or not a group of, like, 15-year-olds had the wherewithal to say, no, let's go blow up stuff that doesn't belong to the city because then we both get to blow things up and get our skate park, I don't know. I I doubt that they had that much forward thinking, but I would be curious to know. I would be curious, too, yeah. I suspect they were were blowing up private property as well, you know, last year when uh, when they had this big repair bill. Right. So it would be interesting to see if they, if that had any effect. Yeah, yeah and if, yeah. if it's true that they are blowing up private property, then you have to find a way to avoid that too. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah then you would have to, you know, estimate based on total damages or something. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I th- I would guess that it's like, one is, is that a lot of this is like very impulsive stuff, so it's not like people are like, well, let's plot out our map of the dog trash bins <laughs> that we're going to blow up this <laughs> evening, right? But more like you're walking by and you toss a firecracker into it. I also suspect that like, your average person, let alone your average 15-year-old, probably doesn't know like who is paying for the maintenance on a bus stop or road sign or whatever, and whether or not that technically falls under mm-hmm. private property or public property, that kind of stuff. So yeah, another thing that was involved in this uh, uh, in this in this thing was that people from the municipality came to school and they talked about all these. Uh, uh, all this property of the municipality and they told them what it costs. So it costs 500 euros to replace a, a trash bin mm. or it costs so much money to replace a, a road sign or something. So it also teaches the students and the, the, the teenagers what the yeah. cost is of certain items in the public realm. Right. Yeah. So I think that's beneficial too. Yeah, and I think having that knowledge makes it a little more tangible when you're thinking about that kind of level of destruction, right? That like people tend to be a lot more careful with things that they know are expensive and that they themselves are going to have to pay to replace, right? Mm. Like, we sort of know this even with, like, insurance and stuff. Not that I'm arguing against insurance, but it does tend to, like, make people be a bit more reckless with things than they would otherwise be. And so if you don't, you know, you're not even paying taxes as a teenager. So there's, like, not even any argument that it's, like, money that you've contributed to the system, basically. Mm. Like, and you have no concept of how much things cost, right? It's just that the shitty shows up and fixes this thing. I mean, I think that, like, you know, the there's a huge distance in terms of, you know, the, the costs of, of this destruction. And so if you make those, you know, if you shorten that distance and make the costs, mm. like, more tangible to them, you know, I think that you stand a chance of maybe them blowing up fewer trash cans. Yeah, yeah, and maybe people, I think, you know, more like to be careful of things that they've actually got a stake in it and they actually feel that they use it. So if, if, right. if teenagers are kind of on the periphery of, periphery of society and not, there's no facilities for them, they don't really have any incentive to look after them, as if right. they actually have this skate park or you know whatever is built with this money then they, they might and, and they're involved in proving it then they're, they're more likely to, to, to take pride in it and uh, look after it you'd have thought the only the only question is whether this is going to keep maybe this worked this time because of the kind of novelty of it and yeah. uh, you know it's yeah. the first time and they see oh look we've been promised a nice new skate park maybe you know, as time goes by the effect will diminish uh, I just don't mind I think uh, with all these kind of schemes they, they work for as long as everybody <laughs> when the teenagers <laughs> have uh, 15 yeah. skate parks to choose yeah, from exactly. they the might be, be yeah. Yeah. They, they could compare about 16 
15th. But you know, it's a kind of you know, these schemes all kind of work as long as everybody's on board. But as soon as anyone anyone suspects that that somebody's not pulling their weight, not getting involved, it, it acts as a massive disincentive. On the other <laughs> hand, I could see an argument to say that this becomes like an institutional part of being a teenager in this town, which is is that you have this outlet to have this thing with the council, right? You have this. It's a fairly. I mean, a year is not a, a long. It's not. A, it's a fairly short period of time in, in between. I mean, not not super short, but like you know, pers- con- uh, conceivably, you have a bigger run up into it where the the council is constantly saying like, look, you know, this was the damages, and this is you know, you can only blow up two trash cans this year. Or you're going to go over the budget and blah 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 blah. And that like it it creates this system where mm. where it becomes normal for the teenagers to be involved in this process and have things that they want and like this kinds of stuff. And like, honestly, you know, 10 grand is not that much probably compared to the the city council budget. So yeah, I mean, I think that it's, uh, you know, the first year that they go over and they don't get their skate park. I think there's a lot of incentive the following year to like not, you know, allow your friends to go around blowing up trash cans. So I can kind of see it both ways. I'm very curious to see how it plays out in the following year. And in the end of the day, uh, the best way to avoid children blowing up trash cans with fireworks is by banning fireworks. Fireworks. Right. So, <laughs> yeah. also that. I'm, yeah. I'm, but that's not going to happen. That's okay. not going to happen. Unfortunately yeah. not. No. No. Yeah. That's all we have for you this week. This podcast is a production of Dutch News, which can be found online at dutchnews.nl. We'll include links to everything we've talked about today in the liner notes. You can now send comments, compliments and abuse by email to podcast at dutchnews.nl. If you want to help us out, you can subscribe to our feed, give the podcast a rating and share it. My thanks to Molly Quell and Paul Peters. I'm Gordon Darroch and we'll be back next week. Mm-hmm.